Welcome to Nerds of the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. No, I'm Sammy. All right, Sammy, um, what we're doing this evening is the result of one of your brainstorms. Uh, yes. For good, or, for good or ill, what are we doing? This is going to be our Valentine's Day episode. And last Valentine's Day, we got a chance to look at John Cusack's Gross Point Blank. And we found out just how much Jamie loves John Cusack. So when we were pitching this year, I'm like, okay, we have to do another Cusack movie. (laughs) So we are actually uh, going to be doing High Fidelity, uh, released in March of 2000. Uh, Cusack, both John and Joan, of course, uh, Jack Black and Lisa Bonet and a bunch of people who went on to be big stars for a while. Catherine Zeta-Jones, Tim Robbins, um, and, and even the boss. But so what, what I really loved about this, though, guys, is because since this is our Valentine's Day episode, we invited one of our favorite nerd couples on the show with us. So... Tonight, along with your uh, hosts, we have Jim and Heather. Thanks, Hi. Debbie. Uh, <laughs> let's do a thank, first of all, thank the nerds for um, uh, inviting us back, uh, especially for this movie. So, a Mount Rushmore movie for me. And um, it's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. But uh, before we start, I'd like to plug, uh, announce that we have the green light to um, announce that WillCon will be returning September 25th, 2021. That's uh, a Saturday at the Southside Ball in South Williamson, Kentucky. Uh, we will probably be uh, going public with that uh, this weekend on Facebook. So awesome. if you see it, go ahead and uh, share. I know you guys will. And, um, you know, it's going to be a good time. We're, we're going to see we're going to play it by ear. We're, you know, going to see what we're going to have it in some shape or form, though. Um, you know, we were going to make a return and it is Wilcon episode four and uh, follow whatever with, tag, with whatever tagline you like. Um, but uh, it just one thing I also like to plug because this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I don't know how much we'll be talking about, but I highly recommend High Fidelity, the book by Nick Hornby and the High Fidelity uh, uh Season one on Hulu. Uh, you, uh, you just it, it goes if you like this movie. Um, there are so many Easter eggs uh, in the Hulu series, and um, that's something that you should do as soon as you're uh, done with this podcast. Dive into that. So, cool. right. awesome. Uh, well, Jim uh, is he's he's on the ball. He's already done us keeping it 100. So, <laughs> uh, Heather, oh. you're up next. Um, oh. Um. Hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> hello, everybody in podcast world. Um, we'd like to announce that HerdCon is on again for this year. And it'll be happening in March uh, because we love you all. We're going to be doing it virtually. Uh, we don't want, you know, anything. So, um a lot of our events are going to be online and accessible. We're going to be recording them. So people who aren't available during the lunch hour, which is when we're pretty much going to be doing everything, um, can pick them up after the fact. And we're really excited that we're going to have Bo Smith. Otherwise, I really want to thank you all for inviting us as your sweethearts. And... Um, if I'm going to plug anything like how Jim was plugging Nick Hornsby, Hornby, I'm sorry. Um, he's got a lot of other great novels that have also been turned into movies. One of my favorites is about a boy. It's called about a boy. Uh, it's got Hugh Grant and, and it is a wonderful movie. Uh, the book is, I dare say better but it usually is. But the movie does some really creative things with it. So, thank you. All right. All right. Thanks for the updates. Those are good recommendations. Definitely. But it is time to get back to high fidelity. 
And so it's time for our opening thoughts and grades. And Dwayne, you are first out of the gate. Well, guys, I don't know if I just had a bad week watching this movie or if it wasn't the movie I remembered. Um, I love the music, love the music store dynamic. I love the three friends, the three amigos there, John Cusack. Uh, and I know, Jamie, you refer to John Cusack as human vanilla <laughs> uh, a lot of times. But the good thing with John Cusack, <laughs> the great thing with John Cusack movies is they always surround him with the sprinkles and the topics. You know, you always get the sides. You have Jack Black. You know, in here you have Catherine Zeta-Jones, all of these uh, other great characters. You had him with Nicolas Cage in The Rock. You've had him with, you know, different folks. But, uh, I'm, you know, this movie really uh, is more of a relationship exploration uh, than I remembered. I, I remembered so much more, I thought, in the music stores. But I'm going a C plus. This movie is not as great as I remembered, but it, mm. it, it's a... Above, you know, the lower end of average, but it just doesn't reach great for me. C plus. Mm. <laughs> okay, Heather, pull yourself together. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> you are a hater. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the most perfect movies of all time. I would like to give it a 98. Because I give it a 98 because there's that 2% where it could just be a little bit longer and not have so many deleted scenes because there's always more Kuzak that you can have. <laughs> so that 2% is just because I just want more and more and more. Okay. Um, I'm up next. I feel like I've been a little bit misrepresented. When I describe John Cusack as human vanilla, um, what I mean by that is like, nobody really hates vanilla, but very people have vanilla as like, their favorite thing. And that's how John Cusack is for me. He doesn't ruin anything, but he doesn't make anything better for me. He's just present. Um, so he's present in this movie as well. <laughs> it, this movie has a clever conceit at its core. I'll give it that. Um, for the most part, uh, it's well acted, well directed. Um, I don't really like the story or the characters or much of anything that happens. So I'm going to see. I just, it didn't do it for me. Sorry, guys. All right. So so we, we, we talked about before recording that this would probably be one of those kind of movies at the continuum for us. And I think we're already seeing that because see, this is one of those movies for me that from the first time I saw it, I was in completely a hundred percent. This band of misfits running a record store, John Cusack's Rob Gordon's chaotic life, this eighties feel of a movie plot, with a little bit of John Hughes breaking the fourth wall, a la Ferris Bueller. Uh, all of it just struck the right chord for me. Um, when I found it on Blu-ray, I had to buy it. It had to go on the shelf. For me, this is a great capper to any Gen X movie marathon, singles, reality bites, empire records, and high fidelity. So I'm with Heather. I'm going A on this thing. I'd rather just rewatch empire records. <laughs> okay first of all my um i need to open up any uh discourse on this movie uh by with a disclaimer um because i am on a podcast with my girlfriend discussing this movie that any views that i have on relationships or any opinions i might have about the opposite sex reflect more the uh me of 20 years ago when i first saw this movie and not my current views on relationships now so uh, that being said, this is one of my favorite movies. And, and one of the, the things I love about this movie is because 20 years ago, the fact that it was a relationship exploration movie and kind of the what, it, what does it all mean uh, things. And one of the things that hits me was I was um, 20 years ago, I was 28 years old, around the, roughly the age of these characters. 
uh, supposedly anyway. Um, and it was the way that I viewed really, it was a, it was the perfect movie for me and the way that I viewed relationships at that time and my prior history with experience, with, uh, experiences with relationships. And, um, this movie really resonated with, with, uh, 28 year old me living in San Francisco, single, um, hanging out in a lot of record stores and, um, you know, being of that mindset kind of. I was everything that Rob Gordon was going through uh, at his stage of, of his life. That's kind of what I was going through at the same time. So, um, you know, when you have a movie that at the time speaks to you in that manner, um, you know, you're ride or die with that movie, you know, 20 years later. So I give it an A. Well, I, I think you make a, a pretty important point there. I, I think the stage of your own life when you see a movie like this mm. plays a very important factor. I hadn't seen that movie before today. Oh, right. Okay. And so, oh. so I, I, th- I think if I had seen this in 2000 when I was 20 years old, I might have had a different experience with it. Well, and see, I, I'd, I'd read the book and, uh, prior to the movie, and I was a fan of the book, but I wasn't crazy about the book. Um, however, the transition from the character being in London to being in Chicago and the change that they made for the movie really uh, made it more relatable to me. And some of the reasons that it wasn't as relatable. The book wasn't as relatable. We'll talk about later, but, um, you know, when they made that transition from London to Chicago made the main character, uh, an American, um, you know, that kind of, uh, it, it, it really helped the translation of of what I think Cornby was trying to say, made it more relatable to an American crowd anyway. Mm -hmm. Was it set in a different time frame in the novel or was it set roughly contemporary? You would have had to, if the movie, the book came out in '95, so you'd think he was writing it a little, maybe ten years earlier than the movie, when the movie was released. So, it would. It, my guess is the it wasn't really definitive what the time frame was in the book, but I, you know, the characters seem more of a late '80s, early '90s. Mm-hmm. I'd, 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 I'd lean more towards late '80s. Okay. So there's like a 10, 15 year difference between what was yeah. in the book and what made it on screen. See that. Hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, I think with uh, three A's and two C's, I think the uh, next couple of sections is going to be interesting. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm pretty sure there was a kitchen in all those apartments. Didn't see any pans, but I did see some fans. Let's go to the fan section. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. Oh, that's me. Um, what did I really like about it? Um, goodness. I, I just... I like the laser focus. I like breaking the fourth wall. I liked the fact that he was so utterly self-absorbed. I mean, he was just so incredibly self-absorbed. Every one of these women had a definite good reason for not wanting to be with him. Because he screwed up every one of his relationships. He was responsible for everything bad that ever happened to him. And it took him a journey of visiting all of these exes for him to discover that he's the one who screwed up. And I don't think he even really truly acknowledged that. So, I mean, it's just a very humbling movie for most men, I would think. (laughs) That's probably why you guys gave it C's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i'm fully aware that most men are monsters <laughs> this was not a newsflash for me uh well i i'm a, i'm up next and i i didn't enjoy this movie but i did enjoy that it clarified something for me i think something about my feelings about john cusack clicked into place as i was watching this movie um i've been lukewarm on john cusack for my entire awareness of john cusack being a living human um but I could never precisely put my finger on why. Because I've always acknowledged he's a fine actor. You know, I mean, whatever he's doing, he's, you know, reasonably well, you know, well suited for and does, you know, a good job. Um, but now I understand it. Um, it's John Cusack's career choices. Um, 
he only plays jerks. He plays people I don't like. He plays them well, but I don't like those people. <laughs> and so it's made me, I mean, I, I can't separate him from all the, from every role he's ever chosen to play. <laughs> and so it's, 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 that, that's really shaped how I feel about him. Uh, every role I've seen him in, he's basically playing a jerk, an, an unlockable person. And I get, I get that that's, you know, a lot of people's MO, you know, you know, self-absorbed, you know, <laughs> man-child. He's really good at it. I just don't like those people. I don't like, I don't like spending two hours watching those people have their, you know, you know, narcissistic adventures. So this movie clarified that for me, and I appreciate that. That's my fan. <laughs> All right, Sam. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things, and in some ways both Heather and Jamie are right on point with the Rob Gordon character. Because the thing is, what this movie does, one of the things I love about it is that it's not your typical kind of rom-com. You know, to me, this movie captures the best and the worst parts of your 20s. Right. Rob Gordon is not a sympathetic character. He makes the wrong move. He is self-centered. He's pretty much a jerk. Welcome to your 20s. <laughs> you know, despite being considered an adult, but you know, you're considered as an adult, but really you're not prepared for it one bit. Your brain, your libido, you're still teenager. All right. And face it, your 20s are a hot mess. Um so, so I love the fact that this movie captures it, and I'm just so glad there wasn't YouTube when I was in my 20s, because <laughs> I don't want that documented, okay? So I think this movie captures that, that, that period really well. You know, you don't like Rob Gordon, but you can kind of sympathize with him, because sometimes we were all Rob at one point. <laughs> Maybe I'm jealous. I never got to be Rob. <laughs> Uh, okay uh jim you're up next 30 39 minutes into the movie oh yeah defines everything 39 minutes into the movie because the previous 38 minutes you are hearing rob sob story you are here you know he's he's breaking up with his current girlfriend and then he's lamenting about the five breakups that he's had and he's ready to explore and you know you really it's really building up sympathy how you know, he's he's a guy he's this tragic victim of all these women and you know, he drowns himself in pop music and uh yeah that's his escape but nope 39 minutes into the movie it's revealed that he is a a-hole and um i just love the way that they structured they structured that movie i'll always be a fan I watched it on opening day with my a platonic female friend. And at that moment when that list of things that he did, um, you know, from, uh, you know, from getting, you know, from his girlfriend being pregnant uh, with Laura being pregnant, the abortion, the borrowing money. After that was over, I actually raised my hands up as in like, I was so happy to see that because, he play, He was. He was. He was playing every. They're playing the audience like a guy like Rob Gordon would play somebody. You know, not really intentionally, but it's like, oh, by the way, there's all this stuff I haven't mentioned, and uh, yeah, it's true, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of where I am right now. Uh, I guess now that it's out, I'll have to address it now. But I was just. I was actually when I, when I raised my hands up, my friend knew exactly what. I was doing what I was, why I was so happy. She shook her head and then punched me in the arm. And, um, and she's like, you're proud of that. It's like, you're, you're so proud. It's like, do you think that's you? It's like, um, maybe, <laughs> maybe I think, but it's one of the reasons I can relate. And, and it is, it is different. You know, usually there is a, um, you know, back in 2000, it's rare that the main character was, you know, as screwed up as Rob, was you know or at least you know that obviously so um that was a that was a great change of pace and um yeah just for that just for that twist just for that turn that heel turn that gradual slow heel turn at 39 minutes into the movie um that's that's the thing i'm the biggest fan of so <laughs> all right yeah, well, i'm gonna i'm gonna round out the this award and 
uh, about leaving the, the movie, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm with you guys entirely. This movie, you know, I thought my fan was going to be the music store. I thought my fan was going to be the record collection. But really, it is the exploration of relationships. How he breaks down from the beginning of the movie, you know, discovering girls. They're nowhere. They're, they're nothing to us. We don't care about them. And then one day we do. They develop these things that we are fascinated with and we want to spend time with them, want to be around them. And he, as he goes through his life through the different relationships and you see how it affects him. You see how he affects other people. And then as he's revisiting them in the future, you know, the, the wreckage, the scars, the, the things that, you know, is revealed to him and about him really, you know, opens your eyes to a lot of, of in-depthness, I think, that I wasn't expecting with this movie. One of the things that really shook me to the core this time was the, uh, was the girl he was dating in college, you know, who, who, or, or high school, who wasn't, you know, promiscuous with him. And then, you know, a few days later, she gets a boyfriend and, and he finds out that they had had intercourse. And, you know, years later, this has been eating at him and eating at him. And years later, he, and she's like, you know, I, I wasn't physically or mentally able to not comply, even though I wasn't willing. And the scars that that's left on her, you know, those relationships and those impacts really, you know, is a strong part of this movie. And it's really a strength. I love the end of that scene, really... though. He's not sorry. At, after she storms off, he's not sorry. He's like, this is great. It wasn't me. <laughs> well, no, that was, and, and, that, and that, you know, is, yeah. is going to come up to the next section. It just shows how screwed up he is. And, you know, the, I guess it could really, this movie could be played as a warning label to anyone who gets so full of themselves, uh, you know, that, that they behave this way. <laughs> You know, and like Sammy said, we've all had our moments like this, male, female, for a minute, for a year. You know, we've all had some moments like this. But, uh, you know, like I said, this that goes right into this next section. So I think I'm going to go and find out what's really some bad things about this movie with some pans that maybe John Cusack needs to be with. I concur okay. with that assessment, especially the scene you referenced. I, I never recovered from that scene. I couldn't like him after that, um, which that bleeds right into my pain. And I'm first out of the gate. Um, my biggest problem with this movie is, is I don't like anybody in this movie with, with, with one small exception. I just find all of these people unlikable. I think I'm supposed to like, you know, John Cusack's character. I don't like Rob. I, 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 you know, as a father of daughters, I want I want those people not to ever be near my <laughs> near my daughters when they grow up. Um, I mean, and I just there's there's one small exception, but I find everybody in this movie pretty much reprehensible. I think even the people I'm supposed to like, I don't, and that makes it really hard for me to enjoy this movie when I just don't like these people. Um, I thought I was going to. I think I was about 15 minutes in before it turned on me. I, I enjoyed the first big blow up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those movies. It's going to be a breakup, get back together, figure some stuff out. They go to the they go to the the record store. That first scene in the record store is a lot of fun. And then I don't. I, that's the last time I had fun watching this movie. Um, there there was. I mean, like I said, it's well acted, well directed, all that. I just I I just so disliked these people that I couldn't actually enjoy the movie. And so that that's my pain. I, I needed a ray of sunshine somewhere in here, and there wasn't one. Yeah. All right. You know, in, in some ways, I guess my pan goes a little bit with that. You know, um, there are certain areas of characterization for especially Rob, Dick, and Barry, okay? Um, because it's like this. Whether it's music, comic books, anything that's collectible – I hate when people are portrayed as elitist and snobby, okay? You know, sure, there are umpteen internet trolls out there that that just love to, you know, believe that they're more important than the rest of the rational audience. Um, 
You know, but I just feel just because you're knowledgeable on a subject doesn't make you a gatekeeper. And this is something that, you know, in fandom is talked about a lot. Um, and, and I just, I hate seeing that. I think it perpetuates the stigma of people who are knowledgeable and collect things that they are, you know, you know, the king or queen of their own realm. And I don't like that. Um, you, you can be knowledgeable and, and not be a jerk about it. So that's my opinion. All right. Do you, do you even have a nitpick? Yeah, I do. Um, biggest nitpick. Barry being one of the three music snobs in the movie, uh, you know, music elitist, uh, rips on Stevie Wonder. I just called to say I love you. For his Monday morning mixtape, he chooses 80s one hit wonder Katrina and the Waves. Walking on sunshine, and it makes no sense at all to me. It has never, ever made any sense why that song would be chosen by a musical elitist. I don't get it. I don't understand. It was, it was a mainstream radio top 40 hit. Uh, nothing um, uh, really you know, outstanding about it. Nothing you know, that, that really set to the part from you know, any pop music uh, during that era. It was a nice catchy pop tune and it would be the equivalent of you know putting i don't know christina aguilera or uh you know o-town or something like that from you know uh, for a like a for a music snob to put on today it's like it just it was it was pop it was bubblegum and yeah that doesn't make any sense it still will not make any sense but he did have a very animated clapping sequence that i do try to copy every time i watch the movie as well so as much as I hate it, I still get into it. Um, and then uh, the second, the, just a, a minor thing that bothered me, um, a lot of the musical references do not make sense for someone Rob's age in the movie. Yeah, if it were released in 2000, it just didn't, it, it, it skews old, it skews older. And, I, and that bothered me a little bit, but I get it. You know, I understand, but um, not even the music snobs that I hang out, hung out with um, would have skewed that old. I don't think. I, I was confused by that as well. I, the musical references they were making, I, I didn't think, like, added up. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had bigger pants then. <laughs> yeah, those, those kind of <laughs> skewed to people more our age now. Um, but, yeah, the, um, my, my pen for the movie is, you know, something we've already referred to, just the personalities. Just get over yourself. You know, the, the neurotic narcissist just... You know, I love the flashbacks. I love the, the the history, the animations there that they go through. But yeah, just that narcissistic, neurotic, woe is me, whininess throughout just really rubbed me wrong this time. Yeah. All right, uh, Heather, you're a blast. We can be positive the rest of the way, maybe. <laughs> last last negative okay. comment, maybe. <laughs> Um, I honestly thought the women were badly portrayed as well. Like, I forget the character's name, but the actress is Lily. Which one was that, Jim? The one that was the friend? And Lily Taylor. Lily yeah, Taylor. that one kind of bothered me. More so than the others, actually. Because it was like, it was a really good relationship. And then it became that moment desperation and then it was nothing and it was like seemed, and it wasn't even seen he didn't really view these women as as people they were all objects or they were his yeah. background I mean they, they were like um, you know like how action figures come with that little tiny gun and you lose the gun and you still have the action figure it was like the women were accessories and they were disposable accessories at that. Hmm. I thought it was very misogynistic. I think that's spot on. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. You're you're referring to uh, Lily Taylor, her uh, character was Sarah. She was yeah, the, the friend that was just kind of hanging out and uh, he kind of gloated walking away from her after the, his later meeting with her saying, no, "I could have just hit that, you know." Yeah, yeah and just, it's just the whole thing. It's like women were objects. 
the only fully fleshed out woman in the movie, and she wasn't really in it very much, was his sister, Joan Cusack. Yeah. She was, I mean, everybody else was just, was a caricature. Yeah. And, and I think all the women were, and they, and they were, I guess, a particular view of, of a woman, you know, Charlie, the out there, do anything party girl. You had the, you know, the kind of girl next door from high school. You had the, you know, someone who, who felt like needy and, and clingy. And, and so they, they were all caricatures. I agree with you completely with that. I think they tried to flesh out Laura, but I just found her to be a very confusing character. Like I, I don't, I don't know people like her. I mean, like the things he does to her, I don't know a woman that would accept. <laughs> you know, I mean. And she was a very well educated, very well grounded person. Mm-hmm. For her to have accepted this behavior for so long. I'm surprised she didn't leave him sooner. And then she's okay with him making mixtapes for other women. And like, and like he just confesses, yeah, he was thinking about, you know, doing something in that situation. And she's just, yeah, I know. I'm like, who are you? I don't know humans like you. Oh, and he cheated on All I knew were humans like that in my 20s. she was (laughs) (laughs) All I knew. They they exist. Well, I know John Cusack exists. I don't, I didn't know Alora existed. (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, I that's mean, well, I'll, I'll get to it, but but yeah, he cheated on her while she was pregnant. I mean, that right there is a no go. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> well, have we just have we have established? I don't think anyone in this movie really deserves any of these awards we're about to give them. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where sammy aka comic book kid takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast one thin dime focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice one thin and Jim, you're leading off at this award section with best performance. It, for me, it's got to be John Cusack because, first of all, one of my, my, my previous, um, one of my other Rushmore movies is actually Say Anything. And um, he totally... One both plays off his Lloyd Dauber character and uh, reinvents it and twists it and turns it heel. And I think it's just amazing that um, you know he he could have been easily typecast, or they could have just done a um, he could have just played it like a Lloyd Dauber would have, like a, how he played Lloyd Dauber and say anything. But um, you know he dictates the the tone of this movie. And for me, it works, you know, because he's both reprehensible and relatable. And he does come off as sympathetic sometimes. And you can tell that he's at least passionate about some things, but he just still doesn't have his life in order. And, you know, for him, that performance capturing that stage of his life that mirrors a lot of people that I know and that I went through that phase as well, um, you know, it was perfect. It It was um, it, it may not be likable and it may not be um, relatable for a lot of people, but for people who've gone through phases like that, he captured it perfectly. So, and that's really all I could say. See, I, I'm with Jim on that with performance also, because I'm always of the mind, if an actor can get me to feel a particular emotion, and that could be an emotion that, that I sympathize I despise whatever it may be, then that actor is doing a good job. And when, you know, Cusack's Rob Gordon, it, it creates a reaction. And so to me, that's a good performance. And that's kind of the reason I went there. Now, I love the the fourth wall breaks and stuff like that. You know, I mean, um, 
that to me that just kind of takes me back to like I said before Ferris Bueller things along those lines but I love that idea of he's pausing and talking to us the audience because like Jim had talked about there are some people that can relate to that they they have lived a life like like Rob has and I think Cusack is stopping and the way he performs that um relates you know kind of connects the audience I think so well, I'm going to surprise everyone and jump in and agree. Uh, I don't, I don't like Rob, but Cusack was. I've, I've never said John Cusack can't act. I just, you know, he doesn't, you know, doesn't set my world on fire. But he's good at this role. I don't like this character, but he's really good at portraying this unlikable character. Locked it out of the park. He was very unlikable. Well, I'm going with an unlikable character, but it's not John Cusack in this movie. Uh, I'm I'm picking a Jack Black as a Barry Judd, the the music store snob, um, and from his over the topness to his uh, just completely being a jerk in the music store to people. Um, you know, this is kind of a breakout role for him in the in the early 2000s, and uh, this is Jack Black at his a holiest. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love and I love him in this movie. I mean, I would have to say John Cusack does have butts for He's refusing to sell um, the Stevie Wonders um, album to that middle-aged man. And he's talking about you know, like, what is wrong with your daughter? And then <laughs> not only that, it's like, I mean, really, what father buys that song for his kid? I mean, it's so <laughs> awkward. It really is unbelievably awkward. <laughs> so, I mean, I love that moment because I'm just like, oh my God, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, Dwayne, you're up next. Lead us off on best scene. Okay. Well, you know, as much as I love the flashbacks in this movie, um, I couldn't really pick just one uh, because there's so many and they all mean so much to the movie. But I'm going to pick a small scene when uh, Dick walks in uh, to John's apartment and he has all of his albums piled up in stacks. And and you know, Dick's mind, you see him, his 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 mind is always working, maybe a step or two slow or in a different direction than everybody else's, but you always know he's got something going on in there. And as he's realizing, you're rearranging your albums. Not not alphabetically, not not chronologically, you know, as he's seeing the stacks, he says, autobiographical, you know, and 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 you know, being being a music lover and you know trying to think of you know how to how to lay out this perfect playlist to tell a story or how how do I arrange my cities in my city containers so I can access them quickly you know and John Cusack he goes into this thing he's like well, you know if I'm looking for a landslide I've got to remember that I bought it for somebody at a certain time and I didn't give it for other reasons and you know it's this whole deluded convoluted thing and Dick gets it you know and he's like oh <laughs> Well, and, and then he offers to ditch his plans for the evening to help. <laughs> so I, I love, I just love that little scene. Uh, it just, just, just grabs me. I love it. Well, I, I, I'm going to jump in next because my, my favorite scene also involves uh, that character and John Cusack together. It's when, <laughs> it's when Ian has come into the record store and they start, and he has the, and he has the fantasy fight <gasps> sequence. And then Dick comes across the counter and punches Tim Robbins in the face and the teeth fly across the room. Phone, yeah. And he rips the air conditioner out of the wall. <laughs> I just, I couldn't, I was blown away that that was happening. I don't care that it was a fantasy sequence. I was, I was, I was incredibly entertained by that moment. Yeah. That scene reminds me so much of the scene from Office Space. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah, and, and th- that's exactly what I have down. <laughs> when the guys go all office space 
on on a <laughs> it, it does and, and the thing is and i think what makes that scene so funny is that one you get these different permutations you know it, it's what rob is playing in his head and that final one like i said when they when, when like heather said it's like office space when they when they go all office space on him it's just so farcical because we know None of three these three guys, as big and a bad as they want to talk, are not going to do anything. <laughs> you know? That's what makes it funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's Dick who's the one that jumps across the counter. Yeah. If there was one guy who wasn't going to throw the first punch, it was him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, who hasn't win on this? Oh, well, I had to save is is uh, I, I I love the dick ripping from the window, but I'll go with two other uh, minor scenes then. Um, the ending with Jack uh, with Jack Black uh, seeing let's get it on. I really that was a wonderful way to end the movie. Um, the, the look of shock on their faces while he's singing um, uh, just always gets me, and then. There's a perfect, just a little scene, and it does contain language. I, I really, I'll try to, I'll try to sugarcoat it. When he's having the flashback uh, with Charlie, and he's at, he's raiding, and he's yelling at the window, but he's like, Charlie, you, you be, yeah, you be ITCH. And, you know, he's just yelling at that, and then he's like, let's work it out. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Encapsulation of Rob's mentality. Of women, you know, he'll yell that, but then he'll he'll follow that up with "Let's work it out," you know, and then he falls in the rain, and it's like that's just that's perfect. That's perfect rock bottom uh, when it comes to uh, uh, relationships. That that was yeah, a little bit of perfection there. So <laughs> it's just just a little bit. You guys have actually touched on my favorite scene, so just go ahead. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, you're actually up next with the best character, Heather. Um. Well, I mean, the obvious choice is Rob, of course. But um, I really like Jack Black's character. I really did, because he's just so crazy. Um, and I think part of this is because of the Hulu series. The woman, they, they switch the gender. They do a lot of gender switches mm. on, um, on like uh, between here and the Hulu series. And the woman that plays the Jack Black character is just absolutely hilarious. And so when you go back to seeing the movie after seeing the Hulu series, you're just seeing like so much more into his character. It's because it's like, he's pretty straightforward. You, you don't realize he has any depths until like at the very end. So honestly, outside of Rob, I have to say, you know, that's my favorite. Well, I've, uh, I've uh, already touched. I liked it. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and touch on my favorite character. And we've all had him in uh, the favorite scene. I love Dick. I love his, his little like quiet awkwardness. You know, he's uh, been in a lot of stuff and I always glad to see him get work, you know, throughout the years I've always enjoyed seeing him, but you know, he's, he was the proto Michael stop of this movie, I guess. Um, and then in the two thousands, he, he just kind of put me so much in mind of that awkwardness. You know, if you see him, you know, him kind of perform, but uh, I love I loved his character, and you know, he gets the girl at the end. Yeah, I, that was the thing I was going to say. I, I pick I picked him as well. I know he's shy and he's awkward and just uncomfortable in every social circumstance I can imagine. But you know, he seemed like the best dude out of the bunch of them. He's and I not bet the most normal person. Yeah, yeah, and I bet he's the only one that's going to be good to her. Like, I bet Anne's going to like enjoy being his girlfriend, whereas the rest of these guys, I, no woman's going to enjoy being with him. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree completely. All right. Well, 
Oh, uh, I, I'll jump in. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, go, go ahead, ahead Jim. No, go ahead, Bob. Okay. Now, best character, it's not so much a character that I liked the most, but it's the, it was just such a wonderfully designed character for his role in the movie, and that's Ian slash Ray. Um, <laughs> I can't think of a more horrific rebound guy, uh, you know, to have. He's just awful on so many levels. And, you know, the idea of your, you know, that you're, you could lose your girl to this dude is just a nightmare, and it works for me. And uh, that's my short answer uh, for best character. It's just I, I, wonderful. I even, even his use of language with, uh, it's like uh, it, the way he uses G casually, you know, uh, when, he, when he leaves the record store. You know, it's yeah. like, wonderful. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I think that works because if it wasn't a guy who was that horrible, it would make sense she'd go back to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. If he was a decent guy, she would have stayed with him. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Movie over. That's it. Oh, <laughs> well, we, we we started with with Barry Judd, and we're going to end with Barry Judd. Uh, Jack Black's character is definitely one of the best characters in this. Um, I think we can really see the beginnings of the character that he continues to play to this day, uh, both on screen in Tenacious D, whatever. Um, he's rude. He's over the top. He's completely manic, but you just can't help but laugh. Um, we all know somebody like Barry, um, and, and you know that for for all the faults, I think we can pull out in him. There's never a dull moment when you've got a Barry in the room, mm-hmm. and so you know that character. I just think cracks me up. So, do you think he's acting or just saying lines? Like I think he's just playing Jack Black. That's my hunch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of acting going on. Well. I think he normally just plays Jack Black. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's what he did for a while was just his roles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm up first on best quote, and there's quite a few here, a lot of directions you could go, but there's one that kind of stuck out to me, and I just um, it's probably not the right answer, but it was just one that, like I said, it, it stuck with me. So it's, it's one of his, mon- one of his you know, fourth wall monologues there. He says, what came first, the music or the misery? People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos, that some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Was I miserable because I listened to pop music? (laughs) I I was a teenager in the 90s. I listened to a lot of Soundgarden. I feel him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, somebody else go because Jamie's just took mine. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get my my two quotes aren't really uh, not for the content but for delivery. Um, I'm, okay, so I'm going. I'm talking about the scene when uh, Rob finds out that uh, when Rob tells the guys that Laura's dad died, and uh, Jack Black starts singing, uh, uh, you know, oh, what a night really was. Brother, what a night really was. And John is tough. And then just, <laughs> I love that. I, I crack up every time I hear him just throw in angina. Uh, you know, when he sings that song. And then um, the second was also Jack Black at his delivery. Um, when, he, when Rob's talking to Carolyn Fortis. Hey, Rob. Not now, Barry. It's your girlfriend. Oh, my God. That was crazy. Yes. Well, you know, we've talked about how self-centered and and somewhat shallow Rob is. But I think there's one line that he has to me that stands out and gives me a little bit of hope that eventually he may grow up. And that's, it's a mystery of human chemistry. And I don't understand it. Some people, as far as the senses are concerned, just feel like home. And I, and I think any of us that, that, that have been in a really deep relationship, you know, that other person just feels like home. And there's no explaining it from, from the moment your hands touch, the moment your eyes lock, that's home. And, and like I said, that gives me hope Rob's going to grow up eventually because he realizes that. 
I, I still I have my parents. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was trying to think about which one of the top five lists I really liked the best. I mean, because I thought they were amazing and they were well thought out. They, they just, you know, like gunpowder. They just da 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 So I was looking it up on the internet, and the quote that I actually stumbled across that I really liked really a lot is actually a Barry quote. We're no longer called Sonic Death Monkey. We're on the verge of becoming Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which I love that. <laughs> but just for tonight, we are Barry Jive and is Uptown 5. <laughs> just you know it was like the delivery I mean like I was saying that amazing song and it's coming out of Jack Black and if you aren't familiar with um, you know um, his other stuff you're just like he's singing and he's good and it's like but if you're familiar with him, you know he's actually a really great singer and a great musician. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was this the first time he had shown that though in a movie? I don't. I don't remember the time frame. In a movie, yes. Yeah. Definitely in a movie. I, I can't place the um, Tenacious D series on HBO. It, it, it's around that time though. But uh, first time in a, in a movie, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think School of Rock was, what, two or three years after this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. I think that Jack Black is a truly underrated person. Yep. And if you see Nacho Libre, you know he is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's told me you're going to be viewing Nacho Libre sometimes, too. too. Uh, oh, that one's loaded. That was loaded with stuff. Yeah, and we need, and we need to get my we need to talk my wife and me on that one because I don't know if there's a bigger Nacho Libre fan than my wife. That might be a Matt Rushmore movie for her. Yes, we need to uh, make that happen real quick. I have, I have I have to share this. I I have a picture of myself holding an actual corn cob on a <gasps> stick. I just have a, a, a screech a picture of it, and every now and then I have a friend, one of my longtime friends. I will just text will text that picture back and forth. Uh, just at random times during any random day, just so we can get the response, get that cord out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's a photo out there of Jim dressed as a Lucha Libre. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is it I'm going to, no, I'm, but I want to do Nacho. I'm going to take okay. it a step further and actually do Nacho. And I'm going to actually create a, a plastic prop. Uh, of mayonnaise covered corn that someone can slap out of my hand every. Uh, <laughs> or actually, no, I'll have to hand. I'll have to hand to them, and then I'll slap it out of their hand. So. <laughs> All right, well, what <laughs> we're not reviewing so, that movie yet. That's so mean. Anyway, see. <laughs> So back to high fidelity. Uh, Sammy, your first out of the gate on best music snob moment. Oh, there's so many good ones. Um, Heather talked about the altercation between Barry and the the square uh, as he was trying to get um, that. I just called to say I love you. Okay, but what I love, what what is totally the most snobby thing was what Barry says afterwards. Is it in fact unfair to criticize a formerly great artist for his latter-day sins? Is it better to burn out or fade away? And that is just such a snobby thing to say. I mean, honestly. And of course, I contributed uh, the the closing song of the movie to the soundtrack. (laughs) Yep. And and of course, I was also wondering if Spinal Tap could answer that one. Well, as we see, they faded away like the uh, like the last lines of an '80s song. As that fader slowly goes down, um, but yeah, I love uh, the scene where um, it involves Barry again, where he refuses to sell the album. 
Yeah. <laughs> to the guy. You know, he's the guy's going through the racks and he's like, Oh, that album. Yeah, let me see. I have it over here. <laughs> he's like, I'm not gonna sell it today, you know, just to be a jerk, just to hold that power over him. Yeah, that's that's the most music snobbery uh it's not bad enough where he, his response was, Oh no, you said that to me last week. Well, that can be snobbery also. I know you all said these guys are all caricatures, but you know, I, I was in, I was in bands for a while. I know all these people. They felt very authentic to me. <laughs> I think I was in a couple of bands with Barry. Um, I, I think it's the for me it's the, it's Barry's first moment where he does the music snob thing where he goes off on Dick you know I mean Dick works in a record shop he clearly knows what he's talking about and it goes off on him anyway and I like if, I felt like it really set the tone for like the dynamic of that of that group of people but also who Barry really is and so for for me it's just the tone setter of that scene it's probably not the biggest snobby moment he has but it was it was it's such a just a tone setter for the whole movie. I had to go with that one. Let's see. The it's not so much a, a music song, but it's it's where they realize uh, it's a scene where um, the music snobs kind of get it thrown to their face when they are list, first listening to uh, Justin Vince and Justin's music in the record store when, <laughs> when Rob walks in and Barry's got that look on his face and, and Rob just you know says you know it's like. They're so surprised that it's good, and you know they're so they're such snobs that they can't comprehend that these two little punks that they see every day and try to shop with the store could actually produce something uh, worthwhile. And um, that's really um, that's the, that's like that's something that that really needs to be explored with the critics, you know, um, and people who criticize it. That you know, there are people who criticize it, people who actually try and do, and uh, it shows a difference there. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, my favorite music snob moment is the time when the father comes in and wants to buy that Stevie Wonder album because it's just so uncomfortable and so creepy. And you're just sort of sitting there going, Barry is right. <laughs> <laughs> You never expected to say this, but Barry is right. <laughs> we'll um, yeah. go to the last award, which is uh, Jim, best cameo slash small role. Okay, this is a tough got? one, but um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying if uh, if you guys haven't seen the deleted scenes, there are some even really there are nice some really good performances that are that were deleted. Uh, for example, Harold Ramis actually plays um, Rob's father, and they have a conversation. And uh, sadly, that didn't make the movie. Hmm. Uh, I thought Harold Ramis was a really interesting choice for his, his dad. And um, there's also a scene. Uh, Lauren Hutton uh, is a um, is a is a scorned wife who has whose husband has a massive record collection. And uh, there's a scene where Rob is. Uh, may or may not buy that collection. Um, that didn't get made. That, that, that didn't get put in the movie, uh, but that was recreated in the uh, High Fidelity series, uh, where the Lord, Lord Hutton role is actually played by Parker Posey. So it's kind of uh, it was it was kind of a rich cameo. But my favorite small uh, cameo, uh, best cameo or small role, it actually goes to Lily Taylor because it grosses anyone who is a fan of uh, say anything. Um, Lily Taylor played Corey, which was uh, Lloyd's uh, platonic uh, female best friend. And they had such a cool uh, male-female platonic relationship that to throw them into high fidelity as, um, as a couple and, you know, who had a history and, you know, tried to date again was really a massive troll for uh, all fans to say anything. And it was really tough to watch and tough to stomach. But uh, I get it, and I get why they did it. But it um, it worked, but it wasn't necessarily pleasant. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot. I mean, it's a lot of this movie is about not being pleasant. So, yeah, true. That's true. Yes. What? Jim spoiled mine earlier. Um, it's Tim Robbins. 
<laughs> when he first comes out and you see, you first see him, I'm like, I, that looks like Tim Robbins. Like, that is, that's Tim Robbins. And then just all of the just gross, upsetting, terrible things he is. <laughs> it's just, I was, I was grossed out and amused all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I seen Tim Robbins' role in this movie. I'm surprised I could like him in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, he's really unlikable. But my, I love, love, love Joan Cusack in this movie, and I, I love her dynamic with John. You know, especially you know when when she gets to play opposite him uh, in this movie. You know, sitting across from the table, figuring things out, kind of being there, and. Uh, uh, it just brings back even the memory of her in uh, Gross Point Blank being his secretary and uh, going off on the going off on the arms provider. Uh, <laughs> I, I love I love Joan Cusack in just about anything I've seen her in. So she's going to be mine for this. The good Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I went with a very small role character. And I went for a very particular reason. Lewis, played by Ella Alex Dessert. It's there's a there's a you know an, an umlaut or something in there. Um, is the only character that really stands up and sums up the trio at Championship Vinyl. He is the one that you know he's a store regular. You know they sell him the album that he wouldn't sell. The one guy, right? But he also calls them on it. You know, you guys are music snobs. You feel like unappreciated scholars, so you crap on other people who know less than you. I mean, I just love the fact that that this character, just for this one scene, calls them. Now, I chose him for another reason, though. Yes, because he was exactly also CCPD, <laughs> Crime Lab Tech, Julio <gasps> Mendez on the 1980s Flash TV series. <laughs> <laughs> and he oh was also God. the voice of Nick Fury on Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, the cartoon. So uh, uh, Alex Dessert's done a, a few different things in the nerdy realm that, that makes him stand out. So... <laughs> my favorite I'm so cameo, glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. My favorite cameo was um Sarah Gilbert. Yeah. Jim can tell you we were watching the movie again just to refresh for this podcast. And when she appeared on the screen, I'm like, oh my god, it's Sarah Gilbert! <laughs> I, I just love her. I do. Especially when, you know, she was on Roseanne and she had all the Sandman posters mm-hmm. in her room. Yep. I mean, I have always loved that actress. And, 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 her, and, her, and her and Dick together were so, were so sweet. Uh, I really enjoyed their interactions. All right, guys. As uh, we've wrapped up our awards, you know, there is one character. One person that we know is not a jerk. We know this because we love him. He's proven to us time and time again that he'll be there for us when he travels through time to gather all of the historical figures for his high school music, uh, science, you know, history report. When he saves us from the computer apocalypse in the Matrix so humankind can be reborn. When he takes out the mafia for his poor little puppy. When he saves the bus from crashing the city in speed. Keanu Reeves will always be the highest of fidelities in our heart. But Jamie, how does he connect to this <laughs> Valentine special high fidelity? Well, I don't have the connections to live up to that prelude, but <laughs> here we go. <laughs> That's my favorite one so far. Okay, uh, <clears throat> here we go. So, family connections are a big deal in Hollywood. Uh, you think about—we're all watching WandaVision right now, and you know we all grew up with the Olsen twins, 
uh, on Full House. It was Full House. Full House. Uh, and now mm-hmm. we, we discovered there was another sister who's actually the superior actress, Elizabeth Olsen. There's all those bald ones, right? Alex, Stephen, Adam. Little joke. He's not one of the brothers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even get a chuckle. And there's you know talented brothers like Sylvester Stallone and Frank Stallone. Um, So it's you probably think I'm going to go with Joan Cusack, but I'm not. It's not the Cusacks that are family connection this week. John Travolta's sister, Margaret Travolta, plays Rob's mom in High Fidelity. She also played Anita Fermi in Chain Reaction, starring our beloved Keanu. Margaret Travolta is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> All right, that was uh, that was quite a movie, Chain Reaction. I think we've had a couple connections from there. <laughs> Um, well, guys, that was our review of High Fidelity. I appreciate you all for listening. I hope that you truly know that we love and appreciate each and every one of you guys for listening. I hope you all are having a wonderful Valentine's Day with a very special person. And I hope you always treasure that. Don't be a jerk to them like this movie. <laughs> Alrighty. righty. Well, as we um, get ready for our next quest, Jamie? What, uh, what are we reviewing here? We're going to be reviewing um, one of my favorite movies. Big, dumb, and fun. It's Pacific Rim. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the action. Enjoy the character designs. Enjoy the mechs and the monsters. Uh, maybe don't bring your brain. But we're going to watch Pacific Rim for next week. Okay. Well, Big Dumb and Fun. I think that was the name of my college band. Uh, Anyway, so as we uh, prepare to watch Pacific Rim uh, for our next episode, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to cancel the apocalypse as we keep it nerdy.